Between the Lines with Andrea Gilligan. This is News Talk. You're welcome along to News Talk's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, who will be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest. My thanks to everyone who got in contact about last week's programme regarding recent figures which show the number of incidents reported to Garvey in terms of sexual assault crimes increased for the sixth year in succession last year. Really interesting discussion. You can still listen back to the podcast on newstalk.com or on the Go Live app. And as always, you can contact us, get in contact with us today by emailing between the lines at newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. Well, coming up today, we'll be asking why Dublin commuters have the fifth longest commuting times in Europe. It's after a new survey found those living in the capital spend 60 minutes on average commuting each day. But you'll be glad to know residents in Budapest, Paris and in Amsterdam, well, they were the worst affected. We'll be asking how can we alleviate some of the pressures on commuters in this country? We'll be discussing planning for roads and transport right across the country's cities. Our panel in studio, motoring journalist with the Sunday Independent, Geraldine Herbert, also the CEO and founder of RHH International and chair of the Land Development Agency, John Morn, and Connor Faulkner, the Director of Consumer Affairs with AA Roadwatch. My thanks to you all for joining us today. Thank you very much. Um, perhaps I might start, Connor, with yourself, just to give listeners kind of the lay of the land in terms of um, just how much time people are actually spending in their cars in this country. Well, actually, you see these international surveys that come out from time to time and, uh, you know, it takes some of them with a pinch of salt, whether on quality of life or whatever it is. But whenever there's an international survey that uh, that looks at transport or commuting or, or how well a country is set up for that, Ireland cascades down the international tables. We'd be quite proud looking ourselves mm. on the Human Development Index and say that we're number three or number four or number five. Whenever it's related to transport, we tumble way, way down almost out of the developed world in terms of the problems we have. Um, beware always of simple solutions to complex problems, but there are probably a couple of simple things which, which have brought us where we are. One is for generations we have not done land use and transportation planning properly. We've allowed land use to grow kind of almost organically. So if you're a developer, you just follow profit, build wherever it's profitable for you. So you might build a housing estate in Nace, for example, rather than an apartment block in Dublin City. And when you allow that to happen, the city spreads out and that inherently makes the transport challenge more difficult. It's much more difficult to serve a population like that with a train, for example. The other thing that we have failed to do over that period of time is that we haven't invested in public transport infrastructure almost at all. I mean, you could look at a few Lewis lines, but we really haven't invested in public transport infrastructure. We've relied, we've allowed ourselves to become reliant on private car. And those two things in combination mean that a city of Dublin's relatively modest size actually has congestion to compare with some, the the INRIC survey, I think a few months ago, um, benchmarked us against some ridiculous comparisons, cities like Calcutta or Shanghai or, or, you know, uh, developing uh, (coughs) mega cities that are, you know, embracing all the challenges and there's Dublin alongside them. So you reap what you sow or shall we say you you reap what you fail to sow and I guess we're looking at the the fruits here of 30, 40 years of, of, of poor strategic planning. Just Geraldine Herbert, that particular survey I was quoting it's the uh, it's the analysis of the 2016 the European Quality of Life survey and it shows that people in Dublin spend 60 minutes on average each single day commuting I'm sure there's many people listening to us at the moment that are thinking I actually spend an awful lot longer in the car than that and it could be both ways it could be mm. 60 minutes to work and from work depending on the time so for some people actually this survey is is probably uh, inaccurate insofar as that they spend a hell of a lot longer in the car. 
Yeah, I think the chances are it's probably got worse since the survey was done as well. So, I mean, this seems to be a problem that is just, it, it's constantly, those minutes are being added to. I mean, every time the CSO come out with travel surveys, they know that we're two, three minutes or whatever longer in the car. So, I mean, it's, it's something that's it's, it's seems to be exponentially growing. But I do think this is a nationwide problem. I did a piece recently and I interviewed a load of people, a load of commuters before the election and just asked them their priorities, whatever. And I was amazed at the kind of things that the journeys people are doing. And one of the big things is a lot of people would switch to public transport, but it's just not feasible. Maybe there isn't you know car spaces at the train or in order to get a train yeah. even though there's a train beside where they work the other the nearest train to them is 30 minutes so they have to add that to the journey and it's all this there's no joined up thinking in terms of our ne- our transport network across the country and people who are living relatively close to where they work are still spending much longer in their car than they should so you know I, I, I appreciate that people in Dublin and around cities are actually you know spending long times in their car but I, as I said it's not just an urban thing it's across mm, the country Yeah, um, John Moran can I just ask you first of all as chair of the Land Development Agency just explain to Liz Listeners, what is it that you do? Um, we are trying to grapple with exactly the questions that are, are being described here. I mean, the Land Development Agency essentially was set up because, as Connor said, a lot of the planning issues that were taken in the country in the past ignored state land in many respects. They were allowed to run in a sort of a very open market. Developers pick sites, they bought sites, they went in for zoning or they went in for planning permission. And there was very little joined up thinking. So the Land Development Agency is really designed now to sit above all that, look at the state's land and try and grapple with the problems that were set out in in, prior, in basically the new plan for Ireland for 2040, mm. with particular reference to housing. But of course, what's obvious by this conversation and everything else is whether it's health, whether it's education, whether it's housing, just quality of life, people's physical health, their mental health, all of these issues come back very much to the way and the approach we take to housing. Um, and the use of land. Mm. And so in a, in the highest sort of level, uh, we've identified the need for 500,000 homes in the country going forward. 500,000? Between now and 2040. Most people listing property have no concept of what that means in terms of an add-on. It's another million people coming yeah. into the country. And if the CSO upside strategy is right, we could have 2 million people newly ar- arriving or sort of kids growing up in the country by 2050. Okay, I don't think we I've heard a lot of conversation around the election. Everyone would think that Ireland is a total basket case. I don't see Ireland as a basket case. I still see it as a great country. It's a country that has created 500,000 jobs since the crisis. And they are all the challenges that we're grappling with in terms of housing, commuting. There was very little commuting problems with people in 2011, 2012. When everybody, when we had almost 20% unemployment yeah, in the country, yeah. right? We could see it when I was at the Department of Finance, almost ticking up. You know, when I would get the bus into work, you would see more and more people getting on the bus. And eventually we got to a point where buses passed us by at the bus stops because they were full. Yeah. Right? And they, they, they are the problems. They're annoying an awful lot of people. But they all come back to, and hopefully with the LDA's mission, we can help to try and change mindsets because we do need a totally different mindset to how we do it. I was listening, we were joking a little bit outside, we were talking about the problems in Dublin and almost everybody was talking about the traffic problem this morning and yesterday. Mm. We should mm. not have our population travelling to work in cars. We should not have them dropping kids off to school in cars. It, and this is not just a Dublin issue, this is across the country. And for that to happen, the great opportunity we have in Ireland is eventually with a million more people coming in, we don't need to change bad habits of the people that are here until they realise mm. there's a better way. Okay. What we can focus on 
is making life better for the new million that can live in the way the country needs. Well, just a, a couple of interesting points and, and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll open it up for, for discussion. Um, I thought it was interesting earlier this week we had a report from um, that, was, that was released in terms of the number of people aged 25 to 29 that are still living at home. So presumably, John, they're in that cohort that are looking for one of these half a million houses that are going to have to be built. They're going to have to move out presumably to some commuter area because they won't be able to afford to buy a house in Dublin. Yeah, and again, if I could just cut across, that's a very Dublin biased way of looking at it, right? Because we have only got about a quarter of the population of Ireland who live in Dublin with parents living in Dublin. So the ability to stay at home with your parents for another five or ten years is a massive advantage in some respects yeah, yeah. of the teenagers and the young college graduates of Dublin that people from Mayo and, you know, Roscommon mm. do not have. Mm. People from Mead and from Kildare, if they stay at home with mum and dad, have a 90-minute commute to get to work. So we are creating this incredibly unequal society because of the way we look at all these problems. Okay. I mean, people mm. will talk to you about... And if you think about Ireland, and I feel like the Healy Rays sometimes when I'm actually having these conversations, right? When you concentrate opportunity in one small part of the island, you create the problems that we've got, right? Because when you create all the concentration of opportunity or the best public services, or if you want to go to the National Maternity Hospital, it's in Dublin, the National Children's Hospital, it's in Dublin, whatever. People do what is natural. They want to live there. Right? So even though I've moved to Limerick and I love living in Limerick and I would prefer Limerick any day in terms of my commute and my day of work, right? I still had to come to Dublin to do this radio show. Right? So it was a two and a half hour train ride up and we had to get across town. This radio, so news talk, should have a studio in Limerick in Cork and in Galway. We should be actually thinking, rethinking our country mm. in a way because yeah, what happens then... there's be additional costs though. And, you of know, course there will, yeah. but, they, but we are actually sowing this sort of a reaping, mm-hmm. as, as Connor said, today, not paying those additional costs, right? Because what happens is when you've only one place, it's like if you only have one good restaurant, everybody queues up outside, the prices go up, the service goes down. We need to have four or five restaurants that are of equal quality across the country mm, okay. because then the costs don't go up and the commuting times don't go mm. up. Connor Falcon. Yeah, uh, look, a lot of these things are of our own making. Some of them are just kind of forces of economic gravity. You have a primate city in Dublin, which is an attractive international city. Clearly, when you're when you're pulling in inward investment, there's got to be a magnet that pulls it towards Dublin. It's a harder sell uh, to persuade a technology company to go to Mayo, for example, or to, to Limerick to a lesser extent. The other cities um, are, are doing okay. But Ireland frustrates me sometimes. In some ways, I would echo what John says. This is a brilliant country. The problems that we have on, on commuting and transport are correlated directly with economic growth. Post-crisis, we didn't have a traffic problem. As soon as the growth picked up, the traffic problem picked up as well. There's a tendency sometimes to to just bag the good stuff as if that was always going to happen, it was obvious, and beat herself up over the negative stuff. Can I just ask, I mean, as things started to turn in the economy, we came out of recession, people started to get back to work why did we not start planning at that stage to preempt the, the the increase in public services that would be required? Well, we've been through it a couple of times, and I mean, I, I'm a long time doing the AA job, and you know, I recall emerging from previous recessions, and I've seen a fantastic public transport system for Dublin, magnificent, state of the art, uh, on PowerPoint slides twenty years ago, and we discussed it, we costed it, we just never did it, and it frustrates me in Ireland that when when the, there is a natural entrepreneurial spirit here, the Irish economy prospers because of the people in it. It just 
grows like weeds in the garden. But when we try and do long-term strategic stuff, we just don't seem to be able to think beyond the half-life of a given minister or a given government, and other cities are able to do it in a much more far-sighted way. I remember reading about Barcelona, which is a city I know quite well, but when they were, were yeah. tooling up for the 1992 Olympics, um, they had, you know, planning, Franco-era planning laws that we don't have in Dublin. They were able to just, you know, uh, essentially you know, do a clean slate, but they cleared out areas. They built marvellous new social housing. That, that beachfront area, uh, uh, harbour front area in Barcelona is mm. magnificent. They included things like putting in underground railways for refuse yeah, collection yeah. to serve the new buildings they were building. They were able to think in a far-sighted way. Now, in Ireland, what you tend to have as an individual developer with an individual project looking to make an individual profit. And he'll do what the local authority demands of him if he has to build a link road, but he's not looking at the jigsaw puzzle of the city and wondering how best to serve it. He's only following his own line of, of, of best return. And I think it's our failure to, to get our arms around that and actually plan um, plan the city and plan the country okay. that, that has frustrated us now. Can I just, I'm going to come back to John in a moment, but just Geraldine, have we sort of lost the political will somewhere along the way to kind of just have the foresight to pre-plan for these kind of emerging issues? Like, Yeah, I mean, I would agree with both of you. Planning is a huge issue and congestion is as much an issue of lack of planning as it is too many cars. But we see bad planning all around the country as well. I mean, you see towns that are being deserted. There's no there's no um, incentive for new businesses. Instead, we have retail parks located, you know, a mile and a half or two uh, miles outside of the town, forcing car dependency on people. We see housing developments with no thought to transport infrastructure or schooling or anything. Mm. <clears throat> So I think all of these things have to be addressed. But I also think politicians are great at these big, they love these big projects. You know, Bus Connects is, is a, a one. I mean, I, I fully believe that Bus Connects will actually address a lot of the issues in Ireland, but or in Dublin and the cities that it goes into. But I mean, it, politicians need to stop focusing on these, you know, long-term big projects and look at simple solutions. One of the simple solutions, in my opinion, that's worked really effectively is the Phoenix Park line. Yes, um, yeah. didn't cost a huge amount of money, but it's made a huge difference to people commuting from Kildare. Um, the the Liffey North, um, the cycle yes, uh, yeah. thing. Uh, sorry, um, the that's been on the card since what twenty ten. It's now going to open in twenty twenty four. These are small things that we could do that would make mm. a huge difference to people's lives. And yet, instead, we focus on the metro lines that are going to cost a fortune Just on and the bus connects to, to support that. Fourteen years, fourteen years from conception to opening of a bike lane. Yeah, I mean, for heaven's sake, a bike lane. But but Was I think well, one of the things, John I mean, Morton. we're talking about politicians, right? I mean, I think it was Colin McCarthy wrote in last week's newspapers, right? He, and I mean, I, in many ways, I think people are feeling freer because the election is over now, right? Mm-hmm. He literally listed one after another prominent politicians from all parties. So we can forget about any one party that wants change or whatever, taking a different view, who objected one time after another to relatively simple, you know, improvements of density, a couple of hundred apartments here, a couple of hundred apartments there. That's not what, I mean, if we should be banning politicians from having the right to submit planning (laughs) objections, right? And I would only hope that we never see an objection to any LDA project. Right? On the basis that we are inside the system, if, if any of the political parties have views about what type of planning we should be 
introducing or mm. not, then they should actually okay. come and talk Let to me us. ask you, John, mm. just in terms of some of the, the um, issues that have been highlighted, so, socio, so, uh, socio, I should say, and economic um, by Connor and, and Geraldine today. But looking kind of at the bigger picture now, how do we get a more joined up approach in terms of getting people out of cars, you know, getting more 16 buses operating at eight o'clock in the morning? Like it's, it's really simplistic stuff like that that Geraldine mentioned that we just... It's like people aren't sitting down together at the top of these yeah, organisations the, and having a chat. To be fair to the system, right? there's an Ireland 2040 plan that actually has a lot of the right ideas, has a lot of the forward planning. There's a new Office of Planning Regulator and things like that. But there are many, many pieces of our system that we like in Ireland which are effectively in there to defend individual rights, individual views, and fundamentally, if we want to solve Dublin, we are going to have to sort of think about the issues that others have done in, and wait for the rows and the tweets to come in now in a minute, but the type of issues they've done in other cities which have similar problems, which is mandating multifamily housing in city centre areas. It's taking away the right to have an individual house with a garden in the front and back if you want to live that close to Newstalk. Right. right? Okay. If you're happy to commute in, then that's fine. But you become, in effect, almost a secondary citizen, if you know what I mean. If you can make it affordable to live near work, affordable mm. to live near social services and whatever else. Where I think Connor mentioned something that was interesting to me was we know already we've got people commuting an hour, two hours into, into Dublin, right? Um, I did a presentation in Walford recently where I pointed out that a, an equivalent nurse or person in Dublin who's actually commuting that level of distance compared to one in Waterford, is working six years for every five years of salary, essentially, in terms of the time they're commuting. To commuting. That's an extra six or seven years of their life spent commuting. Mm. This isn't an hour or two hours. Yeah. Or it's six. They should be paying a premium for housing in Waterford where they can walk to work of six years of their salary. But instead, Waterford houses are available for 100 or 150,000 and Dublin houses are for 400,000. We are so... But is that not down to demand because yeah, people but, but want to live there? Yeah, but, but that's the point, right? We're not looking at the demand correctly, right? I've had this concept of distributed demand and it's the same thing as, as non-concentrated opportunity. Connor referred to the magnet of Dublin. We have grown up in a tradition in Ireland of the GAA and we all fight with each other and we think there's only one winner of an All-Ireland. Okay, And you've seen the row about the Dublin footballers against the rest of the world, right? But what that has meant is that we don't look at what's obvious in front of our eyes. There are about 2 million people, or a little bit more than that, that live within 90 minutes of Dublin city centre. There are 1.5 million people in Ireland that live within 90 minutes of Limerick city centre. Okay, So the idea of a magnet of opportunity is that you don't stop, you, sorry, you stop describing Limerick as a city of 100,000 people comparing it to a city of a million people. You describe the four cities, effectively, of Waterford, Cork, Limerick and, and Galway okay. and the areas between them as having two million people. And we, don't, we couldn't do that when we were three million people. We couldn't do that when we were four million people because we needed one city of a significant scale to be able to compete internationally. Now, and this is what 2040 says, we have the opportunity, if we plan it well, if we distribute the services, if we distribute the opportunities to actually have those other four cities, not compete with Dublin, but stand 
shoulder to shoulder with Dublin in terms of attracting FDI. There are 6,000 people working for Apple in Cork. There are three, 4,000 people working for J&J in Limerick and three or 4,000 people working for Medtronic in Galway. There is no reason why this can't happen. But, talking about simple things, it would be great to see a roof over Limerick Junction. Right, So when we're asking people to get a train down to Limerick or get a train from Limerick to Cork, that they don't get absolutely drenched or yeah, have that cold yeah. wind going across the thing. Well, one of the things that always amazes me, and it was something we discussed um, in, on a, on a programme here last year as well, is the, the level of demand and perhaps some way to try and stagger the, uh, the throughput of cars using the M50 on a daily basis. And perhaps that's down to a kind of a working arrangement. But I know, Geraldine Herbert, that was something that we had discussed previously. Perhaps if we just break it down into small kind of in individual sections, but the M50, like just on a basic level, what can we do with it? Shut it down. There's very... <laughs> right? If you shut it down, you'll get less cars. It, it, the more roads you build... <laughs> it's going to close completely. You, no, but but no, no. you, have, you well, have the law of induced demand yeah. that we seem to forget about in Ireland, which is that the more space you give to cars, the more cars you yeah. get. So you actually have to okay. go the opposite. Well, that, well, let me No, no, I, I totally agree. The more um, the more roads you build, the more cars that you get. But the problem with the M50 is we're actually at capacity now. There is absolutely yeah. nothing more we can do. So, I mean, even Transport Infrastructure Ireland will tell you all they can do is actually manage demand at this stage and they have various they're going to bring in variable speed limits as one of these things that they can and basically what that does is the idea is that if you slow everyone down due because there's an accident or because there's bad weather that everybody will get there faster because it's a steadier flow of traffic but they're the kind of measures we're at at the moment with the M50 there's no more lanes there's no more nothing we can do it is just literally a matter of managing it but again it's you know we're at the, the levels of, of traffic that we should have been maybe in five years time again it's a lack of planning that this constantly goes back to well, was the M50 kind of Falkland not supposed to be a ring route. It well, was never supposed to be a it was the main a, it was, route. It, it, yeah. it, was, it, it was originally there was a full orbital planned. And I, I only partially agree with John on this in terms of the law of induced demand because I think we very rarely built infrastructure but, but in Ireland. I disagree with all the economists well, and everyone else. That well, says indeed, it, right? I mean, well, indeed. Um, uh, and listen, I feel free to disagree with economists from time to time. I think everybody should disagree mm-hmm. with economists from time to time. Uh, but realistically, when we build infrastructure, it immediately fills. And certainly if we disproportionately build road infrastructure, we shouldn't be surprised if it immediately fills. And on the M50 I flippantly said at some stage in a radio interview we, we can't put uh, two or three decks on it. And somebody actually picked up on that tweet as if I'd been serious. Clearly you can't build your way out of the situation. But the main problem with the M50 at the moment is that the traffic, the induced demand that's on it, John, doesn't want to be there. Literally does not want to be what there. We have about 300,000 commuters who flow into Dublin every morning and flow out again in the evening. That tidal flow movement. And that's the one that we have to serve. We've baked ourselves into that because we, the way that we've built housing. But it's there now. We have to get those commuters in in the morning and out in the evening. They are crying out for public transport that will cater for them. And and if you if you build a good quality public transport system, mm-hmm. that drains away the demand for cars. Nobody should want to use the car for commuting. Nobody does. If you provide alternatives, they immediately fill up. And that, I, w- I think, is the way that you counter uh, the excess demand on roads. For example, if we had actually built a, a metro system when first we talked about it, uh, it, it, when we did do the Dart improvement, when we did build the Lewis, the complaints about them was that they're immediately full. You don't yeah. have to, to disincentivize the person in a Dublin suburb tell them you know there's nobody who's too snobby to use the Dart or too snobby to use the Lewis they'll take it because it serves them well and in terms of overbuilding on roads there was stuff Ireland needed to do there was corrective stuff that we needed to do there are very few modern cities that don't have an orbital motorway it is a necessity an ugly necessity in some people's minds but a necessity well we have that in Dublin we still don't have a railing to the airport 
I cannot think of a developed city of a similar size that doesn't. We, we are still absurdly reliant on the private car for that mm. tidal flow movement of commuting. And because we fail to cater for that, we tend to blame the car for everything. And, and I think that's a mistake. I think it, build public transport has to, be the trick, has to be the key to addressing this. And even facetiously, no, I would not shut down the M50. You, you could ban all car transport tomorrow um, shoot people if they tre- attempted to drive. You wouldn't have solved a problem. You would you would mm. have suppressed the economy. You would have suppressed opportunities for growth. You wouldn't actually have provided a solution to the problem. I am going to just pick up on a couple of those points in just a few moments. We do just have to take a very short break. Do stay with us. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll be back with more on this issue in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. You're welcome back to the second part of today's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. We're continuing our discussion on commuting. We're discussing everything from planning for roads and transport across the country cities. And it's after a new recent survey found that Dublin commuters have the fifth longest commuting times in Europe. Those living in the capital spending an average of 60 minutes each single day. Our panel still with us today, um, the motoring journalist at the Sunday Independent, Geraldine Herbert, John Moran, who's the chair of the Land Development Agency, and Connor Faulkner, Director of Consumer Affairs with AA Roadwatch. Um, can I ask yourself, John Moore, just in terms of some of the points before the break there raised by Connor Faulkner with regards to the number of cars on the M50? I mean, one of the kind of solutions that's always sort of thrown about is that we maybe look at the London model and perhaps we start looking at some kind of a congestion charge or a congestion fee. Is that something that might work to get people out of the cars? Uh, that's another sort of short term solution. Right. I, 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 you have to, I keep saying you have to step back up from where you are, right? Because we're kind of dealing with a current problem. It's almost like the medical system. I mean, we can't kind of start today where we are, right? The, the answer to Ireland in terms of the way we're living at the moment, right, is not necessarily to make it easier for people to commute faster and long distances. It's the creation of neighborhoods, so-called 15-minute <coughs> neighborhoods, where you do genuinely live almost like our old towns used to be right you genuinely live within your community and you're serviced by enough and every so often you have to go outside there and you need to get to a new hospital or go to some different you know specialty shop or go to cinema but we have to sort of identify the opportunities in our country for creating 15 minute neighborhoods that service kids all the way to people, maybe even in in nursing homes as well. So they're in the one community. We have to start looking at Dublin, first of all, as a series of those neighbourhoods, as it was originally a series of villages. So you live and you work and you play in Ranelagh. You live and you work and you play in Fingus, right? You don't necessarily all have to come into the city centre to go to work. Mm. You don't necessarily have to... But the other big problem as well is people coming into the city centre and they're all coming in for the one time. Yeah, but, but that's what comes from this problem, right? So that's why you get neighbourhoods that empty out during the day. They don't mm. stay livable. You then take that up a level and you take the Dutch model as opposed to the UK model, right? Where the Dutch have created a series of cities like Randstad cities where they interconnect those cities very intrinsically with each other so that it is actually feasible for one mm. person to live in one and work with the kids and potentially if their other half has to actually go to work or do specialty work somewhere else or go for, for whatever it is. You, you, you have to then look at Ireland that way. And in a way, that's going to mean that we get back to a situation where in all of our cities there is a priority and a premium in some ways to being able to live in those neighbourhoods. 
those neighbourhoods could be Ross Grey, they could be Port Leash, they don't need to be sort of, you know, okay. two or three parts of Limerick. Mm-hmm. And once, but we have to do what Connor mentioned. We have to make absolutely certain that all of those neighbourhoods, if I call them that, are connected by public transport. Because what we really want to do mm-hmm. here is to have people able to live without a car. Not cater yeah. for mm. people no. to drive in a car. Yeah. Because we've, we've had a large row about affordability in this country, right? Particularly in the run-up to the last election. A car costs between six and €10,000 <laughs> a year for people to have it. And when they have two of them, that's double mm. that. That's a hell of a lot of money to actually spend on kids or on yourself yeah. or on your okay. parents or whatever else. There's just a couple of different points there. Just, uh, Conor Falkland, yeah. can, can I bring you in? I do you want to get both your views on the idea mm. of some kind of form of a congestion charge or... Um, a fee for people using the M50 at certain times of the day. Just, if I can ask you both, maybe Connor, starting yourself on that point first of all. Well, I suppose there's a, there's a short term and a long term. In the short term, I would certainly be against it, and the reason is that you're not providing people with a solution. An economic disincentive to use the M50 is, I would suggest, redundant. There's a massive congestion incentive not to use the M50. Anybody who is capable of getting out of it will be getting out of it already. And I think adding a charge is just being punitive to people who are not the causes of this problem and they're just the most obvious symptom. To go up a level, as John says, the bigger challenge is to try and decouple economic growth from transport demand. We haven't succeeded in doing that yet. Every time the economy rises, the demand for transport rises. Now, if we can do things like create 15-minute neighbourhoods, if we if we can reduce the demand for travel, the need for travel, so that people can work, people can um, you know, get kids to and from schools, etc., without the need for travel, then it's hugely beneficial to do that. And I certainly agree that we should start. But in the meantime... Here we are, you know, a, a, a three-legged city that's, you know, that is wobbly because we have a lot of the things that modern cities have, but what we don't have is a mass transit public transport system. And, and we don't have it because we've never been brave enough or long-term enough to actually physically build it. And that's why one of the reasons why I, I am very, very sceptical about bus connects is that I just think it is a drug. It is a short-term, tranquilizing drug. It, it, it looks at a 20-year time horizon for a city that's going to be here for 100 years, for 500 years. We are going to need metro. And I think investment so you think in it's bus not connect, ambitious enough? I think it's nowhere near ambitious enough. But I think we should be building manage- to get buy-in from communities as it is. And Well, agreed. And we do have, look, John touched on this earlier. There's good and bad about Ireland. It is marvellous in, in, in many ways. It, it is a genuine democracy where people have rights and they must be respected. That's why we have fantastic state-of-the-art stadiums that are missing the North End because the houses to the North have a right to light. It's extraordinarily strong property rights that don't exist in many other jurisdictions. You just get swept away. We're building a stadium. In Ireland, we're much more um, conciliatory than that and that is in many many ways a good thing but it really hampers us when the NIMBY system prevents uh, large scale okay. infrastructure from being developed and and, and, and and unfortunately we are going to have to to cut that Gordian knot in some way or another where individual rights and ability to block and stop bump up against what, <laughs> what, what, what planners and what the broader okay. city We might come back to that need. particular point in a moment but just Geraldine Herbert um, with regards just to some kind of a short-term system to try and deal with the M50 specifically, what what do you have in mind? 
I think just managing the traffic is the only thing at the moment. I think in terms of the city centre, though, and cars coming in and the idea of a congestion charge, I would definitely be against it. Um, I think if you look at London and the example of London, the first thing you have to look at is, number one, they put 300 new buses on the day the congestion charge came in. It's a completely different city. I think now they're actually moving away from that idea. The biggest problem with congestion charges is they're aggressive. If you have money, they don't make any difference to you. If you, you know, the, the poor pay the most. It doesn't deal with the issues. Um the other problem is in, in if you're doing 10 kilometres in the city centre, you're doing one kilometre, you're saying that you're paying the same amount of um, money. So now what they're looking at doing in London is they're actually going to uh, come up with an idea in 2021. I think the plan is to roll it out that you'll actually pay for the distance you travel. You'll be able to determine, okay. um, you, you'll be able to check your route in terms of public transport if you took a car and you'll be able to decide, you know, you see, so you'll be yeah. able to make an informed decision and mm. that's the way it'll work. And I think that's something we should look at. But the problem I think you have, once you improve public transport, you make more of an incentive to take a car. It's this kind of, you know, um, you, you're actually making it um, better for people to drive because there's less cars on the road. So you have to be very careful when you improve public transport that you don't make it easier and better to drive. So there has to be some sort of a carrot and a stick to get okay. people out of cars and on. But could I just say yeah. one, other, one other thing? I think another missed opportunity in, in is decentralisation. It was one of these ideas that was bandied about by the Fianna Fáil government in 2003. And their idea was to fragment um, the public sector and put you know a bit in every town, which wasn't the right idea instead of centralising it. But if we were to look at kind of central centralised areas around the country where, you know, you would get senior staff and senior civil servants to move because there would be a chance of promotion opportunities and mobility opportunities. I think we could create those sort of clusters of development that we desperately need and stop. I mean, we'll always, Dublin will always be the place that people want to go to, but there should be options and we should be developing exactly as okay. John said, other alternatives. Yeah. Uh, just, I, I was interested, John, in that point you mentioned about this idea of the kind of the 15 minute town. And I suppose I'm at a stage in my life where a lot of my own peers are looking now at buying houses, obviously affordability, and availability in Dublin is a big problem. So many of them are maybe looking at um, some of the kind of commuter belt areas, perhaps areas like Ongar even. But one issue a lot of people find there is that it's fine. You drive, you still have to use your car, you drive to the train station, you can't get parking um, and then you go to get on the train and there mightn't be space on the train, on the carriage to get, you know what I mean, to, to commute into work. So it seems as though we need to go back to the public services, the offering that's there and it would strike me as though there's kind of simple enough solutions in terms of putting on additional uh, train carriages on the routes going in in the morning, making more buses available at certain times of the and, day. And, that... and all of that is right, but you're missing the obvious, which is what we've just said, is the only reason why you're choosing that particular place, assuming you don't have a strong connection to that town yeah, in yeah. the first place, is because your job is in Dublin, right? You're trying to find an affordable house as close to your job in Dublin, right? If your job was in Port Leash, or your job was in Mullingar, or your job was in Galway, you would not be choosing that commuter town nor that commuter life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the point that was raised about decentralisation, which I have since called recentralisation, is exactly what we need to be doing. We have identified in 2040 effectively four other cities and a number of other key towns. We, we can't force an FDI company to move to these other cities. Although, ironically, they do want to move, in many cases, to those other cities. We can force the public service to move, right? As long as it's fair to the people that work mm. in the public service. You should have the same level of opportunity, okay? Whether you're a nurse in a hospital in Mullingar or in Limerick or in Cork, as you do in Dublin. But if you continue to put the National Cancer Centre, the National Liver Centre, yeah. the National Everything, then you look at your promotion prospects and you say, at some stage, I'm going to have to move to Dublin. So therefore, I might as well stay there after university. 
the number of people that I meet that are just dying to live in the other cities around mm. the country, right? Right now, you talk to, go back to the Land Development Agency. We've identified that the city of Limerick, and we're doing the same analysis in Galway and in Waterford, has the potential to have 300,000 people living within 15 minutes walking, or sorry, cycling distance of the main train station, which itself could be an hour or an hour a quarter away from Houston Station. Now, that would be transformative stuff, much more so than a metro in Dublin or doing something with the M50. Because then what you will have is you will have, we all know trains have to go from A to B and back from B to A to get back a second time. So every train we have coming into Dublin in the morning should be as full going out as it is coming in. We have too often looked at models like New York and London and others and said that they are the way we have to try and build our country without staring at the obvious other continental countries where if you look at the train mm. going in and out of Amsterdam or in and out of Rotterdam, the Utrecht-Amsterdam train is almost equally full both directions because right. people in Amsterdam go to Utrecht for stuff. Almost nobody I know in Dublin, the number of people I meet in Dublin, when I talk about Limerick, we say, I haven't been there for 15 or 20 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Or in Waterford so, or in Cork. Mm. They should be going down there for medical treatment because 3 million people today are being asked to come to Dublin for medical treatment. This is not a proper way to okay. deal with Well, listen, I, I, when I hear words like force and, you know, wouldn't it be great, I, I, I think that's aspirational. I don't think truly, even in economic terms, it's very difficult to force an okay, economic let me, let me put this You, you can nudge it, perhaps. perhaps right? So 35 years ago, imagine a brother and a sister who grew up in Mullingar, right? Or in Newcastle West in Limerick. Mm-hmm. One of them became a teacher in West Limerick. The other one decided to become a nurse in Dublin. Right, and he's in Dublin in the middle of you know beside the what's called Belfield at the moment, sitting on a house that was bought at the time for roughly about the same amount, now worth a million euros. His kids can go to UCD, or if they finish UCD, they can stay in the house and actually go to work. Right. By contrast, his sister, who's down in Newcastle West, bought a house, has given service to the state for the same forty years. Her kids have to leave home. Her kids have to move to someplace else and their house is worth maybe 150000 The state has done, because of the planning issues you mentioned earlier, a gross disservice to its citizens. Right? We have a huge opportunity to reverse that disservice in the next 20 years or 30 years. Why? Because we have a million or two million more people coming in. We don't need to force people well, to okay. move. We, so do, we, need, we do need to plan for the future. But I mean, at the same time, the state cannot realistically um, you know, guarantee all citizens equal outcomes. Or, or, it should or, guarantee it, equal opportunity. Well, it can indeed. And, and uh, you know, all countries, to a greater or lesser extent, at least on paper, attempt to do that. And lots of countries face similar issues. I mean, the Netherlands, for example, is an interesting country, but you've got four times Ireland's population and a footprint not much bigger than Leinster. And I've been on those double-decker trains between Amsterdam and The Hague, and it is fantastic to see the density of the country and how much it's used. Amsterdam is a congested city. Uh, you know, other countries do have their have their problems as well. There's a tendency in Ireland to sort of assume that everything we're doing is, oh, it's crap altogether and our politicians are all idiots. We could never get our act together. If only we could be in, you know, like they do in France or like they do in the mm-hmm. Netherlands. And you discover that those countries have problems of their own. Um, but to, if, if our biggest problem, we think, is, is that economic development and opportunity is clustering disproportionately around Dublin, um, I, I think to an extent that that's, 
economic gravity. You, you could wish it were different, but you're yeah. not going to be able to change the law by wishing it different. And there are probably things that you can do to incentivize development and growth in other, in other regions. But I, I don't think that addresses... I mean, I think we'll still be left with a capital city that is trying to run on one leg because it doesn't have a metro system and, and an ability to cater for its tidal flow commuters. I think that'll continue to be a massive inhibitor to growth and inhibitor to quality of life unless we we grapple with it and okay. do it. Well, I wouldn't necessarily disagree just, with what John is yeah. saying, but I don't think you can, you know, if your two-stage plan is stage one, change the entire world, stage two, uh, build the country we want, I think you're going to struggle with stage one okay. because I, I, I don't think other countries have managed it either. I just want to bring you in, Geraldine Herbert, on that, just on the kind of idea, the clusters that we've been speaking about mm-hmm. and maybe your own view on potential solutions. Yeah, I, I, as I said, decentralisation to me is one of those things that just got put, got parked because it was, it was, it was, the idea was wrong at the time, and the, the implementation of it was wrong. But I think it's something we desperately need to revisit. And there are many people coming into to Dublin who don't want to be working in Dublin, who want an alternative, who's, who, you know, who want a better quality of life. I mean, congestion is not simply an economic issue. It is a, a quality of life. People are missing birthdays. They're missing yeah. family occasions because they're stuck in their cars. They're wildly frustrated when yeah. they get home from work. And I mean, that's not good for employers either. They're not getting the best out of people. But I mean, other solutions that we could look at are remote working. Uh, again, we need, you know, fast mm. broadband around the country to do that. Um, flexible working hours. Not everybody needs to work at the same, you know, to be in work at the same time. So I think there are simple enough solutions Another one that I constantly um, bandy about and nobody seems to listen is car sharing. I still mm-hmm. think, you know, that yeah, is, absolutely. you know, employers yeah. could do a lot um, to sort of map journeys. and get Should there the, be some kind of an, uh, an enticement to do that? Yeah, I think so. Because in the end of the day, I mean, if, you know, single car occupancy is a huge issue in Dublin. And I'm sure it is the same in any, in any city. If you sit in your car and you look around, most people are sitting there on their own. There has to be ways of doing that. I think controversially as well, I would look at reviewing um, taxis and bus lanes. I think it's about time right. that you know, that, that buses with 80 people get more priority than again, you know, taxi drivers with one person. I think I, I came across a thing on RT archives the other day. It was 1984 that this law came in that uh, taxis could go into bus lanes. I think, you know, taxis, the number of taxi plates and everything has changed drastically since then. I think we should actually review it. I think people would take buses and wouldn't need taxis if mm. buses worked on time and they probably would work an awful lot more efficiently. Okay. So I think there are things we could look at. I just, mm. we're going to take another very short break because um, just the clock mm. is ticking. But do stay with us. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll be back with more on this in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. You're welcome back to the final part of today's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. We're discussing all things commuting across the country. Our panel still with us. John Moran, who's the chair of the Land Development Agency. Connor Faulkner, a Roadwatch's Director of Consumer Affairs and motoring journalist with the Sunday Independent, Geraldine Herbert. Um, Connor, just some of the points raised by Geraldine uh, just before the last mm. break there with regards to various different kind of enticements and incentives that may or may not be a good idea <coughs> to try and get people out of their cars um, using public transport and even as well cycling yeah. and walking very and these so. are things that are not just Dublin related they can relate across many parts of the very country. much so yeah and uh, you look we can talk about the broader issue and how we've made strategic errors and we're always going to have problems but even playing the hand we're dealt we could do an awful lot of, of low impact relatively unsexy minor things which in aggregate would add up to a huge, huge contribution. Geraldine mentioned multi-occupancy cars. Absolutely, we should have incentives for that. If multi-occupancy cars were allowed to use bus lanes... the incentives, though? Well, let's imagine a body like the National Transport Authority. Just as an example, I'm not holding out a torch for this as a major uh, uh, car to play, but one of the things we could do, let's imagine that the local authorities in Dublin or the National Transport Authority said, right, if you're coming in from Lucan or whatever it is, if you have four or more people in the car 
doing the journey, you can get a permit sticker from the local authority, put a permit sticker on your car, have four people in it, you can use a bus lane. Now, the four-person car... Geraldine's not going to want you. Well, I know that. I know <laughs> that. I know, the taxis yeah, yeah, and and now, and now, I, and I know that. And you, and you can't inhibit the bus journey. But, but think what you could liberate with that. And they do it in some other cities. You could immediately provide a really strong nudge incentive for people to car share. And I think people would jump at it. Now, you would, of course, have to manage the numbers to make sure that you don't inhibit the actual bus service, that you have to guarantee the bus schedules. But there are plenty of lanes where there's capacity where you could do things like that. And I think it would help. And these the, the cycling thing is another enormously mm. uh, high potential one. Dublin city centre actually had cycling as a mini success story for a while. Cycling numbers have doubled in about yeah. a decade, stagnated in the last couple of years, which is disappointing. But you still have about 12,000 people within the canals who commute by bike. There are more people come through Rathmines on a bike in the morning than come through mm. on a bus. So it really is a great success. We could do an awful lot more with that. I have witnessed cycling every day. I have witnessed people with um, a small child, a toddler, um, in you know, on, on the front of the bike and another one on the back, yeah. and they're weaving past buses trying to make a right turn, and you're going, "Oh my I God!" I mean, I know statistically we have safe roads, but you look at something like that in horror, and then you compare that to a, a Danish or a Dutch cycle lane, and you just think that there's suppressed demand there. Mm. Copenhagen, which is also a congested city and also has problems and its citizens grumble a lot it's building a metro um, but they have a commuting cyclists are 33% in Copenhagen it's phenomenal yeah. if we did something like that in Dublin just by providing good facilities it would be transformative in terms of mm. you know a lot of the stuff well even something you know at a very simple level something like the bike to work scheme has been a great success mm. you know so it's whether there's success. some sort of an incentive you know again offered um, and again though employers play a, play a big role there yeah. they could offer incentives for cycling you know they could offer sharing facilities um, lock up storage for bikes safe you know safe storage whatever yeah, yeah there's loads we of things that. they we, could we've do over as well yeah, but the, the, the city, city centre right? I've put in bike racks and so stuff do you like think that, about yeah. a lot of John people Moore. that work in Dublin are not working for big employers that can afford to put in shower facilities yeah. right but where is the large bike parking facility in the centre of Dublin where you can cycle in take a shower and go to work around the corner in a local coffee shop Right? Who can't afford to have a shower facility for three or four people? Right? Well, I tell you what, we there's did. a whole load that the city can actually do. do. Yeah. If anything, if I was giving an incentive tomorrow to anybody, I wouldn't be about car sharing. It'd be for people who commit not to buy or use a car. Oh, there you go. Right? Um, and, and, and make that. Uh, you so have you mean to, the cyclist, John, and the, and the walker? Or, or people, I don't effectively use a car in Dublin. I always kind of rely on public transport. The same problem this morning came out there was a 10 minute gap between the two buses to come in. And there was only one bus coming and none of us, the 10 of us at the bus stop, have any confidence level that that bus was going to yeah. stop because it could have been full, right? So there's huge investment required in public transport. And I, I want to pick up one thing that Connor seemed to misinterpret what I was saying. I'm not suggesting we don't fix Dublin. I think we do need to fix Dublin. I'm saying that the type of forward planning we talked about at the beginning of this program requires us to do like the Dutch did, to say, when we have 8 million people on the island, because if we continue to be as successful as we are, we will, right? When we have 8 million people on the island, are we going to have 6 million of those in a sort of a Hong Kong style or even just an efficient Dublin? Or are we going to have, as I described earlier, two poles of, of sort of municipal activity, 
right, with public transportation systems that are different. Mm. The one in Dublin will be metros because it's already sprawled and built out. The one between the other four okay. cities will be high-speed trains Can between I them. just want to ask you all, just because time is against us, just on a final point before we wrap up. Um, we have a new incoming government we will have at some point, we hope anyway. Um, can I ask you all maybe just to give us, just John Moore, I suppose, what would your kind of um, ambition or hope be for the next government in terms of what you think the need to address at a fairly immediate level, first of all, just? Yeah, I, I think the first thing, and I said it, I mean, as as carefully as I could during the election campaign without becoming political, right, is I think we need a proper assessment of the policies and the promises that the parties are giving so that we can be realistic with ourselves about what we can afford and what we can actually achieve in the short term. Right? So we have some trade-offs we have to make, whether it's reducing or keeping pension ages, whether it's reducing taxes, whether it's spending on public transport. We realistically cannot do it all, and we shouldn't be pretending we can. Um, we have to sort of get that government, whichever composition it has, to sign up to a 10-year sort of year plan or a 15, 20-year plan in which all these small things we've talked about fit into place. Right? And as I said at the beginning, I would also love them all to commit to a charter to never object again to a development in their constituency. Your wish list is getting very right? long, John. That's, that's a simple one. Yeah. Right? Can I ask you, Conor Falkland? Yeah, well, I tell you, the interregnum is doing us no good. I mean, we have things we want to talk to the transport minister about on road safety matters, for example, and, and we, we don't have one with whom to engage, which is pretty frustrating. But for the incoming government, I would say there's two things. There's short term and long term. Short term, it's about being efficient with what we've got. Lots of initiatives that could be taken in Dublin, like more cycle lanes, like car sharing, uh, investment in buses, etc. The short short-term stuff, you know, run the house tidily. The long-term stuff, I think we need a transport equivalent of Sláinte-Care, if you like. Something where all of the parties, or at least all of the parties who are like-minded in this, are, are willing to sign up to, to, a, to a document that will last 10 years, 15 years, and we then don't have to debate it uh, every time an election rolls around. And that document will require um, enabling legislation that I can imagine would, would concern people who are thinking about property rights and citizen mm. rights in Ireland because, you know, the terribly crass thing to say is you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs and it doesn't make for a very, you know, sensitive politician who even, you know, wants to promise things to the eggs instead of promising them what's going to happen. But we are going to have to, to provide some form of enabling legislation to allow us to, 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 in a sense, as a democratic society, command what we want to happen okay. with our land and with our transport system and let economics happen around what we've decided uh, rather than let it make our decisions for us. Somebody has to get the final word today and Geraldine Herbert, that's you. Um, I think all of the political parties have pledged to invest money in public transport and in cycling infrastructure, but I think it's very different. There's, there are two very different things, pledging money and actually making it a priority for people to use public transport and to get cycling. And I think that's where there has to be meaningful investment. It has to be made a priority to actually move people to public transport and, you know, to safer cycling infrastructure. Well, perhaps we might reconvene our discussion in a couple of months uh, if hopefully we have a government at that stage formed and see how they're getting on. But my thanks to you all for your time today. Geraldine Herbert from the Sunday Independent, John Moore from the Land Development Agency and Conor Faulkner from AA Roadwatch. My thanks to you for joining us today. If you've missed any of the programme, you can download the podcast on our website or on the Go Light app. My thanks to the production team, Simon Keane and Stephen Jordan. I'll be back again with Breakfast Briefing on Monday morning from 6 and with Between the Lines this time next week. But for me, Andrea Gilligan, have a good day.